Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Alan Susie. Alan is Director of People at SMP Global Market Intelligence, and we talk about human capital practitioners adopting internal communications techniques, engagement tactics that managers can implement as they continue to adapt to hybrid work models, and the difference between employee experience and people experience. I immediately think of human capital when I think about the future of audio and the role that it can play in people's lives. Between DEI, recruiting, and people experience, there are so many rich ways that audio can elevate the voices that make up the fabric of the company. In our conversation, Alan comments that personal and professional development happens on the fringes, and audio is emerging as the critical content format at Enterprise because of its portability, ease of use, and the asynchronous way that it can be consumed. But do you know what audio really is? It's generous. It's generous for the content creator. It doesn't require hair and makeup, a hot light shining on you, and tons of scripting. Audio content can be created in your messy room, in your pajamas, as you drink your coffee, and the listener won't know the difference. I'm recording this right now in a closet, and I'm using the standard headphones that come with the old iPhone. No state-of-the-art studio, no fancy equipment is required. It's also generous for the listener because I'm untethered from my computer. I can listen in my car, when I go for a walk, or while I make a meal. People experience can be about people and their experiences. So where would I start? Creating a 5-10 to minute FAQ mini-sode once a week is a really easy, high-impact piece of content. If you're feeling more ambitious, what about converting some training collateral into audio? A roleplay with some light scripting involved would be awesome, and a narrator could voice over what went well and what went wrong. That's a very, very straightforward production lift in audio. Look, I'm biased. I'm the CEO of an audio content management system for enterprise. We think that this incredible content should live securely, privately, and on your existing channels of communication. Are you a SharePoint culture? Slack? Are you using an LMS? Share the content to those existing channels and get listener insights on all pieces of content. You know what's really cool about our audio players? They have a customizable call to action button on them. How about including a pulse survey for the listener to complete when they listen to your content? Questions about how audio might play a role in how your business can engage employees? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y, Dot co. And now, the great Alan Susie. Hey, Alan. Hey, Brian. How are you? Alan Susie is the Director of People at S&P Global Market Intelligence. In this role, he drives business success through technology organization effectiveness and people enablement. As an experienced talent and organization strategist, Alan is skilled in strategic workforce planning, organization design, human capital analytics, cultural transformation, leadership development, and lean management. Everyone, go get you a friend like Alan who could do a lot of stuff. Prior to SNP, Alan was head of organizational effectiveness at the CFA Institute and director of human capital consulting at Fannie Mae. Alan, thanks again for being with me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, this is fun. So let's sort of start with a not fun topic, which is the pandemic. <laughs> So look, it's been really hard for businesses all over the world. Um, there are a couple you know, outliers, category outliers, but for the most part, there's been a lot of pain uh, in business. A lot of companies went into risk reduction mode as, res- as opposed to investing in their people. 
What are some examples that you've seen where companies played a role in helping people with their lives through this really challenging period? Well, again, thanks for having me. Uh, perfectly timed questions as we kind of go through this unbelievable 2020 and into 2021. You know, I think to answer your question, what, what I what I see at the core of how businesses ad- adapted or evolved throughout the pandemic that we're going through, it really it really started with how do you how do you think about your people? And if you if you consistently thought about investing in your people, you probably thought that was a way to navigate the environment. If you saw them as a resource, you probably saw that as a way to navigate the environment. So what, what I, I've been lucky and, and fortunate to either have worked for some of those companies you identified earlier um, or, or currently with S&P Global, where people was, was considered more than a resource. It was more than even capital. It was, it was a key driver of, of execution, of growth, of enablement. Um, and so some of the things that, that I've seen are if that posture continues, there is a clear support mechanism. Like, you know that people are the first thing you're going to focus on. So how do you, how do you provide benefits and continuously evolving benefits for your organization that support them? You know, everybody out there is talking about, you know, how, how do I manage my time? How do I manage work-life balance? Well, you have to actually execute some of those things. So providing benefits as basic as giving people resources to get a good chair at home, giving people an extra day, um, a wellness day or a resiliency day that, that is above and beyond, you know, your normal PTO options. Um, it, it not only gives the person space and time, but it shows that you've committed to them as well. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to be in organizations or have been in organizations throughout the past uh, 18 months where investment in development resources in, in starting courageous conversations. So not only the pandemic, but the civil unrest that, that we saw all over the world, especially here, here in the U.S., where um, you bring in thought leaders, you bring in resiliency and change experts to talk about what it means to actually uh, live in this time and, and not just from a resiliency perspective to kind of deal with it and come back to your, your current state, but grow and evolve from it. And what kind, of, what kind of activities do you need to do for that? And then lastly, I think, you know, preparing for the future of, of the workplace, not just future of work, which is a very overused term, but the workplace is evolving. I mean, you could read, you could read articles, research reports around how, you know, hybrid work is going to be coming into play, more remote work is coming into play. Well, that changes the entire paradigm of, of where we work, how we work, and who we work with. And so that's coming to bear. And companies that, that immediately saw that, turn that pot, their posture that direction shows that they're, that they're investing. And, and ironically, that investment actually reduces risk, right? So the companies that were on the inverse, they probably used their, their human resources as a first way to, to get through a challenge. They probably re- potentially reduced spending. The companies that I've, that I've been around, it's the last measure of how you actually reduce risk or, or, or navigate. You don't want to impact your people negatively until you absolutely have to. So I think you, you hit on sort of this, this key question of like employee experience versus people experience. And it's, it's more than just a question of semantics. Like it is a strategy and, and a tactical execution. And I think most people want companies that they work for to care about them holistically, but their boundaries as well, right? So before the pandemic, I had a desk 
and I had a phone and an extension and I can be reached there. Now I'm at home and it's my cell phone and there's boundaries here, right? Like there's, so how do you, how do you navigate this? How do you communicate people with these nuances and these subtleties of hybrid work or distributed work? What, what's some of your best guidance on that? So you started off with the people versus employee. I think those terms are used interchangeably, but I think it gets back to if you, if you really embody a people experience, right? People enablement, people experience, then you are conscious of those boundaries very early in your logic, in the building around what the, the moments that matter for an employee, for, for your workforce in general. So if people first is the way you think about it, I just kind of identified some, some investment ideas, but, but also you're going to be thinking about, you know, how you uh, think about their whole life and, and the growth around their life. So if you are thinking about the people experience, yeah, you, you're going to be thinking about the nine to five for the most part. But so much development happens on the fringes of the workday. So much development happens in how a person is growing personally and beyond professionally. And I know for myself, most of my development happens after hours. It's the books I read. It's the LinkedIn people that I follow. It's it's whomever I engage with, like folks like you. Um, it's it's really about enabling people to to have a perspective that we, we support that as an organization, but then go and do those things. We'll give you the, the chance to go do that. Um, because ultimately if you're a better person in your life, it's, it's going to impact who you work with. It's going to impact your friends, the community that you place around it, and, and your family. So those are, those are some really, I think, big changes um, that the people versus employee experience really needs to um really needs to, to clearly articulate. But, but at, at the same time, they also need to understand, the, the organizations need to understand like, yeah, you're, you're kind of towing into that, that out of work bounds, but it's all for the right reasons and you're not going to go for the wrong reasons. We're not going to encourage super long hours. We're not going to encourage you to have your phone on all the time um, because at the same time, job satisfaction and, and productivity as, a, as a, a big thing I think you're going to see a lot in 2021, it's cognitive load. It's kind of this evolving concept of, of what, of where productivity and job satisfaction actually come in. It's a huge, huge element in technology organizations and teams. Well, you need space, you need recovery, you need balance in order to, to manage that cognitive load that you have. So it's a, it's a matter of building uh, support, but not, not utilizing it to, to the company's advantage in the wrong ways. So much of this, it feels like to me, is just defined by who your manager is potentially, right? Like, like if I get a text from my boss who I don't like at six thirty at night, it's like hell no, right? But it, yeah. but if I if I feel valued and I feel like I have a good relationship with those that I work with, and I get a text at six thirty, like, can you help me with something? It's just a totally different type of experience that I'm gonna have. Yeah, it's it's trust building, right? If if you have and, and you know, so many people when they leave an organization their manager tends to be the number one option. It's not, I got paid more or growth opportunities or I'm moving. It's almost invariably always going to be around that manager. So, so as, a, as, a, as a person in, in a people team, I'm hyper-focused on how do we get managers to, to embody some of that. But it's, it's the trust, the psychological safety that people have working with their manager to know, okay, this isn't a norm and I can respond. Or if I can't, they have total belief that I'm making the right choice for myself and for the organization. Yeah, I, I think this has been 
oh, look, no one's crying for the managers, but I think this, I think the pandemic has been hard for managers, right? Uh, just because the style has to change a little bit, the tactics have to change a little bit, and they're still being asked to be as effective, right? So like what I've heard a lot over the last year is that um, I can't walk the halls anymore. Right. I can't like sort of pop into someone's office to see how th something is going. I hear this actually a lot in sales in particular. Right. Like right. that's how I get a pulse of what's happening. What advice would you offer to those managers that are missing the tactile part of the work? Because it's just it's Zoom after Zoom and it's Slack after Slack and email after email. Are there human ways to communicate and interact with employees and colleagues in a, sort of a digital first way? It's really I think it's hitting on obviously all the things that we've just talked about. It, it, it is having your team as the priority and understanding that, you know, you don't want to, you want to create a divide, but you also don't want to take advantage in, in the wrong circumstances. And so, so a lot of things that, that I've seen work well, again, have, have a lot to do with um, lean management and agile team formation, um, because often, and, and especially in large organizations, there already was a sense of, of working digitally. Maybe you had teams in India or Pakistan or, or somewhere else in, in Asia Pacific, or you were working you know, across uh, EMEA and APAC in North America, um, or you maybe a lot of companies are, are, are remote first. The things that I've seen, and I, and I was fortunate enough to, to actually be a remote worker um, at Fannie Mae for, for three years before uh, moving over uh, to CFA Institute. and I got to do a lot of test and learn on this. So for me, it's, it's having a regular check-in that isn't your one-on-one -on -one where you go over you know, the, the work you're doing. So, so establishing a cadence that people can trust and rely on. So there's a comfort level and it's not standing it up right now, you know, or, or maybe in March standing up and people feeling kind of awkward about it. Um, it's having regular standups with teams that, that are five or 10 minutes hitting on what is the most important thing and how can we support you um, in that time, right? It's creating, again, that trust. Um, what I found to work really well is, is office hours. So if you're managing larger teams, having a time and place that people know that they can find you. Because ultimately, if you are just on endless Zooms, you know, there's, there's the adage of, you know, that meeting could have been a short email, right? The, or that email really should have been a quick standup. It's kind of understanding, well, where can you actually find the time and the space to know that, for me, I would set office hours first thing in the, at the beginning of my day and the end of my day, 30 minutes. If no one shows up, I'm doing work. But people know, hey, you find me, I stop and we're talking. And if there's multiple people joining, it's a conversation that other people can be part of. So there's a transparency built into it, which is huge. Yeah. No, so, so how does that work exactly? So I, I just set up like an open Zoom room and whoever pops in, pops in and cool, yeah. we're having a convo. Right. And, and that can apply. That can apply for a team that can apply as a, as a people partner. I support an organization, make it available to, to who, whatever group you want it to be available to. And people understand set ground rules, but people understand they're going to come in and ask questions, learn if something's confidential, especially for people in my, my world, we'll set up special time for that. But if you want to know, how does, how do I manage uh, um, my team? Like what we're talking about, we can, we can have conversations and that transparency is really empowering, um, but also it provides more empathy and, and real listening time. And that is huge um, as we manage teams and manage uh, clients and stakeholders, because as much as the right communication works, it's really about, about listening. And, and I think the last part of this is as leaders, you need to do that too. You can tell people on your team 
that you should do this. Or as an HR practitioner, I can tell people that this is a best practice, but the way it works is you got, you got to lead from the front. You have to, I, I manage my calendar with an iron fist, right? Like I set boundaries. I set times for people to meet with me. Um, I prioritize my family and have no bones about saying that. Um, and I, and I support growth and development and I practice that extensively. So people feel there's a trust that they can get to me at the right times. I'm not going to, if I set up a time, it's, it's correct and it's better usage. Um, but, but I'm going to support them. That, that I think is, is really the best practical way of managing in this environment. So let's, let's pivot just a little bit. This is just my observation, but it feels as if many people within a company see HR differently today than they did five years ago, right? Like in the past, HR was Toby from the office and today it's human <laughs> capital, right? It's a really wonderful rebrand that, that the department has done across the board. But like, like if you send me a Slack saying, Ryan, I need to talk to you today. Are you free at three o'clock? My first reaction is, oh, fuck, I'm getting fired. Um, like, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm texting my wife. I'm like, I don't know. I got to update my resume. How do you communicate the value of your work, a people-first mentality, with some of the mental models that maybe already exist for people? Like, you're not the, the, the bad guy, right? You're yeah. here to pe- put people first. But, like, if I got this ins- unsolicited sort of reach out, my first reaction is there's something wrong here. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, I love that question. Um, it, it, I, I cringe every time I, w- I rewatch The Office uh, because, I mean, there's plenty of people that still treat HR that way. Uh, so, so Toby, Toby was the way HR was operating a long time ago. But HR kind of has grown just like many other organizations. Um, and, and, but that's still a part of what we do. Uh, it's still at times a, a necessary element as an agent of the organization that you have to represent the best interests of the org. With that said, the way HR has evolved has become much more of Dave, Dave Ulrich, um, who's kind of the godfather of HR, and he kind of coined some of these terms, uh, like even, even human capital, the, the application of human capital, but there's essential work that HR has to do and has to do flawlessly. Those things need to be understood. Um, the, the hope is that when you're having those performance conversations, we've built a manager capability that they can manage most of those. And there's no surprise when uh, uh, an HR people practitioner shows up, right? That, that should be a real there should be some real clarity and transparency about how that happens. But HR's evolution into human capital or people, um, which, is, which is what I've seen in the organizations that I've been around, is that we're here to drive business growth or enable business growth. Um, and so we try to listen for the, the real challenges that are, that are coming up and, and apply them. Now, does every HR practitioner do that? No. There's, there's plenty that are on the learning curve. And, and frankly, I think there are plenty of capability. There are plenty of like groups out there that are focused on ER matters and compliance. And those are very important things, but really talent enablement, people enablement, um, workforce planning, right? Learning from your deep data that, that exists around your people to support their development. Those are all things that we're starting to get better at. Um, as more data is becoming available. I mean, just, just the digitization of HR is kind of 10 or 15 years old. So when Toby was doing his thing, uh, you know, he was working off of, off of file folders and, and people files in his file cabinet. Now, you know, we can kind of better understand what, what skills are out there and what skills new roles are needed. 
in the future and help people along the way. And that, that proactive support really changes the narrative around, around our, our space. So one thing that I hear HR practitioners say all the time is that we're storytellers. And then you push them a little bit and they confess that they don't create any content. Um, what are some of the effective ways that you've seen HR and people teams tell its story internally? What are the communication channels that are most effective? Are there, are there content forms that work particularly well? We spoke a little bit about sort of open Zoom rooms, which is a really cool concept, mm-hmm. but what else is out there for you? You know, what, what I've seen is that the people function is starting to embrace different ways of engaging. And to answer your question, I mean, I think, I think HR people is, can be a storytelling function, but it's got to be a focal point. And so what organizations that I've been around has started to incorporate kind of internal communications, even branding into the people organization or under an umbrella. So the people the chief people officer is taking on kind of a broader set of responsibilities because that brand externally is starting to mirror what the culture is internally. So when those two things start coming together, um, you start to be able to, to develop a consistent narrative. You start to be able to be more creative than reactive to things. And just like, you know, again, I, I, I keep hitting on kind of agile and lean management. When you actually start developing clear alignment against customer need or, or, or personas within the organization. You f- start focusing on moments that matter. Those are things that, that product-based organizations are doing. And so if you apply that, that rigor internally, storytelling becomes an absolute critical part, just like marketing externally is. And so the people experience function is starting to be stood up and they're being created by people that have a communications background, a marketing background, uh, MBAs, you know, they're looking at data, um, and then they're creating kind of a backlog of opportunities driven by those stories and personas. So, so we're learning how to do that. The channels that, that get used are still a little, a little behind. I, I think we've been, we've been less focused on ad- adopting kind of more mobile applications, even though many are out there doing that, you still get the, you know, what's your, what's your internal internet site. That's the way to do it. It might be kind of having, having Microsoft flow or, or some, some different way, Microsoft stream, different ways of doing it. I think those are, those are the mechanisms that I'm still seeing utilized, but the different use of it is, is starting to become more around. We want to provide you with something that is in narrative form or toolkit or playbook form that you can go off and deploy because, you know, even, even if we think about these things around like adult learning, um, people aren't just going to a class. They're not going and getting maybe even a formal education. They're doing it off the side of their desk. They're probably doing it through books, LinkedIn learning kind of Coursera kind of things, even just digesting LinkedIn daily. Um, so, so we're trying to figure out kind of where we can go, but it has to be something that we need to offer. And it has to be something that is tied directly to the strategic aims of the people organization. And, and you use what you got um, because ultimately, you know, as, as the people function grows in relevance and in connectivity to the use of employees, we've got to, we've got to start with those basic functions that they already kind of expect us to be in. And then as we advance and, and they see um, that we have an, a mobile application or some other mechanism, some other channel, um, they're more willing to adopt it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you're hitting on is that you might not have all the distribution points 
at your disposal for a whole host of reasons, but that maybe there's other ways to incorporate different forms of content, right? And so like industrial design teaches us that like we all learn a little bit differently and you hit on like, I'm reading books, maybe you listen to podcasts, right? You, you are watching videos, there's LinkedIn learning, there's a lot of different ways, but we all learn in different fashions and we need these data points to intersect with us differently throughout the course of the day. And so what is, what is the content that lives at your disposal to help connect people when you might not have every distribution, you know, asset at your, at your, at your beck and call. And and it depends on the roles, because if you, if you're in a tech organization, the half-life of your, of your skills in technology have advanced so far that the half-life is basically like a year or two because you need to learn a new coding language or you need to understand cloud computing or you need whatever it might be. And so your learning might actually be super direct, but it also might be, you know, we, we hear about like dojo environments where your, your learning is in real time on a real process. And, and the, the learning loops, the iterative learning loops are happening faster and faster. Whereas you might be in a back office function and your learning is more, is more generic and it's going at the flow of your, your, organization or department's evolution. So understanding and providing those nuances by types of, of workforce segmentation, uh, by levels of leadership is really where you need to be. So just to confirm one point that you made just before, you're, you're seeing people teams starting to incorporate internal communications as a competency, as opposed to people yeah. teams partnering with communications and marketing at the firm. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, they, were always, they were always a partner but there was kind of this uh, tribalism between the two. And I think, again, I've been lucky to be around some some fantastic leaders who have seen this move and have incorporated it it wholeheartedly. And and frankly, I think the internal communication teams um, have have welcomed it because they now are at, at the table even more. Whereas, you know, HR still has has a wall around a lot of its stuff for data privacy concerns, for compliance concerns. Those are rational, but when they're in the tent and they're helping create that narrative, well, now you're also educating other people to, to create their own stories. Um, so it, it's been, I've seen a tremendous uh, surge of, of benefit from just that alone. Yeah, I mean, I think recruiting in particular should be a content factory. Right, leveraging the stories of the people <laughs> internally, and right, and instead we just get these horrible job postings, and it's like, just tell me how what the salary is. Like, what's up with these job <laughs> postings? They're terrible. Um, not at SMP, but at other places. I, I, I'm going to get you out on this one. What's a what's a mistake that you see peers in the world doing with respect to communicating HR and people values? I think that. We, we often focus on what we want out of um, our people function. It's, it's very hard for people, for, for I think a lot of organizations to trust, you know, the data they have, the experience and insights that, that their people are giving them and doing something that they might not believe. Um, so testing and learning, A-B testing, you know, putting out different ideas and seeing what sticks is is a capability that that the people organization needs to really adopt. Um, it's again what so many more proactive organizations, technology, market ecosystem companies, you know, all the all the big dogs out there, they're constantly trying to test and learn. Um, HR still in the in those places 
has to have this perfect waterfall approach. We're going to implement this solution, and I've thought six months about it, and they never tested. They never, they never even tried. They might have done a quote-unquote pilot, and that gets us in trouble. And so we need to understand that it's okay to to learn, and it's okay to learn fast um, with small with small wins, with small tests. So that's that's I think the thing that that's going to take us forward. I'm joined today by Alan, Susie, Alan. Thank you again for being with me. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Alan, thanks again for your time and wisdom today. If you like today's episode, you are going to love the next conversation with Mary Tabor. Mary is the Senior Manager of Internal Communications at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, with Mary Tabor.